0: The Athletic. Totally Football Show today. North London Derby. Spurs join the ranks of big opponents Arsenal don't turn up for. Meanwhile, Raffa Lucian, Raffa the gaffer, off the staffer at Everton after defeat to superior Norwich. We talk about the weekend's games, the De Brunner Stunner, and why you can bet the house on James Ward-Prowse, hear more about AFCON and other things too in this Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Hello everybody, it's January the 17th, Monday, and I'm sat here ready to bring to bear the full power of uh, the intellect of Daniel Story, Charlie Eccleshire, and Carl Anker on this weekend's action. Hello to you all. Carl, welcome back.
1: Hello, James. How are you doing? Belated Happy New Year. Yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> happy New Year to you too. So much has changed, actually, since you were last with us. Uh, back then, City were champions, Man United lacked a working midfield. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> we'll talk more about Man United <laughs> later on, I, I, I imagine. Lots for us to discuss today. Uh, Charlie, you were meant to be at the North London Derby on Sunday, but of course that didn't happen because Arsenal. This postponed this fixture on uh, Saturday at Arsenal's request. Not the first game that has been uh, rescheduled under the current COVID uh, regulations, but probably the most egregious example I think for many observers of a, uh, of a, of a game that actually didn't really need to be Reschedule. What do you think?
2: Well, yeah, I, mean, I was doing a big piece on this yesterday that went up this morning on the kind of... The, this was the, the straw that broke the camel's back, as it were, and a lot of Premier League execs, etc., are up in arms. You know, that Arsenal got this game, called off with just one COVID case at the time that they made the application. They have subsequently had another one. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, the, the 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 difficulty with this is... Is that as far as the rules go, which state the need to have 13 uh, outfielders and a goalkeeper available, Arsenal were within their rights. And with all of this, you know, don't shoot the messenger, but they feel completely unrepentant because they've had a request anyway against Brentford on the opening weekend turned down that they thought was legit because they had a covid outbreak of a, i mean it wasn't tons of players but you know that they felt sufficient that they had a case mm. and with this they feel the rules are there they met the criteria and you know they put this to the premier league the premier league believed they met the criteria and so the game was off um, they thought
0: it was a work event yeah no absolutely well I mean, exactly I get yeah it. it fits in with with the wording what is it all clubs are able to apply for a postponement if covid infections are a factor in their request but it it does seem to make a mockery of common sense do you think then that this might might mark a kind of uh, a watershed in the league's approach to postponements that we might see them clamping down a bit more and as in other leagues the Bundesliga for example do you know how many postponements they've had
2: this season zero same as La Liga
0: yeah and Mm. even in City, A which was an utter farce until last weekend with games not going ahead and and officially, the position was that uh, one side would be forfeiting the, fi- the fixture. Um, and they, they've they now managed to get their house in order. All the games went ahead this weekend. Uh, do you think that the Premier League are going to be taking a new direction on this?
2: No, the, the impression very much, to be honest, <laughs> sorry, sorry to disappoint. The impression very much is that they won't be changing midway through the season. Uh, I mean, they might they might come under pressure from clubs, but we hear this buzzword integrity, integrity of the competition a lot, which is one of those slightly meaningless things like, you know, demanding for consistency from, from referees. But right. you, you you can see that from their perspective, they're saying, well, how, how can you change the rules midway through? Because that's just going to lead then to other clubs are going to be up in arms saying... How is it fair that, you know, we were fine from a COVID perspective for the mm. first half of the season and didn't have any postponements. But then the second, now we can't get games called off that we want. So but- I, I don't think they'll be changing. And I'm not saying that's right, but that's their position.
0: Right. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm sure Carlin and- and Daniel, have a view on this, but I think one thing that made this particularly difficult for a lot of people to accept was the fact that Arsenal only had, as you mentioned, one confirmed Covid case. The other issues were injuries that all clubs run into, players away at the Africa Cup of Nations, which, to be fair, we did kind of know was happening. And above all, players they themselves had only just decided to let go because they didn't need them, like Maitland-Niles, who went that week to, to Roma.
3: Yeah, I, I, the injuries point is is relevant here because the Premier League appear to have have taken a stance and I I can see their point on it that it isn't just about the number of COVID cases necessarily. It's about player workload and player safety, although that sounds a very grand word for it. Um, You look at Leeds at the weekend and Martialo Bielsa has been very adamant that he he wouldn't apply for games to be called off and they are down to a threadbare squad and within 25 minutes two of their first team players are coming off with muscle injuries. The Premier League's point is it isn't just about Covid cases, it's about player wellness in general, that if if players are being forced to risk injury through Covid then there is an argument for postponing that game. The problem is, as with everything in in modern football now, is every decision is inevitably going to make one party not just feel aggrieved but also get their fans into kind of whipped up into this state of outrage and I've no doubt that if it was the other way around then both sets of fans would be behaving according to exactly how the others are now because there just isn't a way of doing that now it's 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 almost to me it's almost like refereeing decisions in that every decision that gets made has to kind of it's sparked this either semi-conspiratorial theory or this isn't fair on my club and what about this club. It's just so messy that it's very hard. Unless you have those hard and fast rules in place, and and I think the Premier League made a mistake by not publicising those at the start of the season, everything just feels really messy from that point onwards.
0: What about Sky as well?
2: The, The broadcasters?
0: yeah. And, and the TV audience, but this was a massive game, what a massively anticipated game. You were going there, you were looking forward to it. I think everyone was, and particularly the TV companies, built their Sunday around it, and all of a sudden, yeah, no. Mm.
3: There's a weird thing with, the, with the, the inherent reaction or the intrinsic reaction from supporters for that is, you know, Gary Neville tweeted everyone and says, oh, you're just looking after Sky, you're just looking after Sky. We do have to remember that those broadcasting deals pay the premier league wages they allow them to buy players they aren't they aren't merely a you know a spectator party in the same way we are yes there is a perception that football the premier league in particular bows to broadcasters over supporters to to a fault but they do pay the wages more than supporters do unfortunately and that's the reality of, of business
2: but the problem is as well i mean Daniel touches on there that um, the Premier League, the fact that the rules they seemed very opaque and no one quite knew what they were, but now we do know what the rules are, and people are still calling this buzzword of all we want is transparency. Well, the transparency is sort of there. It's just you don't agree with it. And that's a no, different I don't thing. want transparency. <laughs> well, is that, yeah. It's just like <laughs> what you want. It's like with VAR. It's like, we just want consistency. No, what you no, want I... is decisions that you agree with all the time. But that's no, no, going to be another no, 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 man's I, inconsistent. Charlie, that, that, that's not what I want either. But that's,
0: for, that's <laughs> something for another... I mean, I've got a long list of things, to be honest. But to, I, think yeah, even in,
1: within, I think even within that, we talk about transparency. It, I don't think these rules are particularly transparent. If, again all clubs are able to apply for postponement if COVID-19 infections are a factor. Uh, Like Factoring is that sort of whiffy secret asterisk you can put into any term. And I think what we've got this season is there is no real silver bullet to to this situation that can please everyone. You can't prioritize player care without having some form of games postponed. You can't postpone games without angering fans slash broadcasters and whatnot. So you have this situation where there are a lot of even the people that do really, really care, everyone's operating some form of self-interest, and then the people that say they're not off working in self-interest are still working in some form of self-interest, which creates this very weird, difficult situation. Where, and you know, to, to carry on from Dan's point, one one thing we we are in 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 football media and and well wider society is the worst thing you can be or look like is a hypocrite. Mm. Uh, it's less about doing bad things and more about doing things that don't align with things you have previously said Mm. Uh, and I think what you've got from the Premier League is a series of flimsy rules because they don't necessarily want to look like hypocrites and I think a lot of the reaction towards Arsenal in particular was in a certain way because Arsenal looked a little hypocritical because of their initial reaction to the postponed game against Liverpool and the Carabao Cup only Mm. to now turn around and say oh we can't do the North London derby uh, which i mean yes arsenal have were well within their rights to not play in the north yeah, London derby, according right. to the rules but then you say well then change the rules and right. that's when you get into this very odd cycle where the rules probably aren't good enough they're probably not yep. clear enough um if you allowed five different football fans to rewrite the rules you'd end up with five different versions of footballing rules based on everyone's personal preference and yeah. opinions but on covid I so think- it's it's a mess
0: Four or five of those five would be better than the situation we currently have, where, as you mentioned, (laughs) Arsenal did play Liverpool and held them to a 0-0 draw on Thursday, only to then say, but there's no way we can fulfil our fixture on Sunday. I just think for the Premier League, it's an unsustainable situation. It's a massive blow to the credibility of
3: the league worldwide. I'm aware we should stop talking about actual football at some point. But um, the the other thing, and I think we mentioned it last week, is... (laughs) we still don't have any notion on any guidance on unvaccinated players and self-isolation due to contact with COVID cases. Because that's something that clubs aren't really talking about. And I understand why, because if they do start talking about it, people start asking for names. And then we start Mm. hearing about which players are unvaccinated and which aren't, which clubs understandably want to avoid. That kind of adds this another kind of grey area to everything, which in the Premier League's defence is very hard for them to sort out. Because if vaccination is a choice, but playing unvaccinated if you're a contact of someone isn't a choice, that's a really hard thing for them to sort out.
2: Tottenham were well within their rights to be furious about Arsenal getting this postponement, but. I think it would be naive to imagine that had they been in the same position, they would have said, well, you know what, fair cop, we've, we, we've got an absolutely ravaged squad, but we're going to accept it and play. And I know, and I know Leeds are to, to a large extent right. doing that and, and absolutely fair play to them. But you're then relying on the goodwill of football clubs and sort of know how that's <laughs> going to end a lot of the time.
0: Mm. All right. Well, let's talk about Leeds who did bother showing up and playing and did pretty okay. Let's... Get a quick check on the results that did take place and then give Leeds some love. Eight games took place this weekend. Back on Friday, there was the usual late drama at the Amex as Brighton grabbed a 1-1 draw with Palace. Saturday, Man City-Chelsea finished 1-0. Kevin De Bruyne with a stunner there. Norwich got their first win since November and ended Rafa Benitez's reign at Everton with a 2-1 victory at Carrow Road. Meanwhile, at St James's Park, a late equaliser from Watford's João Pedro ended the Hornets' six-game losing streak and saw the points shared between the two teams. At Villa Park, a new signing Philippe Coutinho brought Villa back from 2-0 down. For a draw with Man United, while not far away, Wolves beat Saints 3-1. As Sunday, Leeds won a thriller with West Ham 3-2 and Liverpool with 3-0 winners over Brentford. The title race is over. There's a mildly interesting question of which uh, team will finish second behind Man City. Liverpool to Chelsea. Liverpool two points above the Blues at the moment with a game in hand. The race for top four looks uh, rather more... Exciting. Arsenal, Spurs, West Ham, maybe Man United in the picture there. West Ham currently are fourth. Arsenal two points behind them with Spurs four points below the hammer. Spurs currently, though, with four games in hand on David Moyes' side. Extraordinary. Let's hear about West Ham 2, Leeds 3. You're listening to The
4: Totally Football Show, sponsored by Paddy Power and part of The Athletic Podcast Network.
5: Now Rafinha plays the ball to the far side to Harrison, Harrison clips it in, oh it's a hat-trick for Jack Harrison and Leeds United are back in front here and there are some super super scenes behind the goal as the away fans go mad again.
0: One Daniel's story in the eye Monday morning calling this one of the performances of the season given Leeds absentees, Daniel.
3: Yeah, absolutely. We've just mentioned about um, Leeds and Marcelo Bielsa in particular persevering through um, various different COVID-19 crises by saying, we want to play. Uh, their bench yesterday was remarkably inexperienced. Andy had to use two of those players because, as I say, he, he they picked up two muscle injuries early on, Junior Firpo and Adam Forshaw. And, and they also had to win the game three times because they can't defend <laughs> properly. Um, but they did they did win the game three times. Even at 3-2 up, they played with this kind of insouciance as if to say, well, we know what we're like, so we're probably going to have to force score a fourth here, so why don't we do it before this time? Why don't we do it before West Ham equalise? Uh, and you know they should have done, bar a, 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 an unfortunate deflection off Rodrigo on the line they're just they're so so good I mean Rafinha is by a mile I think the best player in the bottom half by a mile and it, I mean we talk about the inflation of transfer fees but you can still find a bargain he costs Leeds 17 million pounds which is certainly not nothing but in today's money is is astonishing value for money mm. um, we don't know how long he'll stay but these are the type of players that you, you don't really worry about that you just make sure to enjoy them along the way because they don't come around very often.
0: Created seven chances in this game. He scored or assisted ten goals so far this season. Uh, how much did the exotic sounding Jack Harrison cost Leeds? Uh,
3: he cost them actually a, a fair amount of money from, from Manchester City. He was, he, I think we talked about him before, but Harrison has this incredible mm. backstory of going off to to US schooling and then college system and then into the, the City Football Group system with, with New York City and then to England. He He's not been very good this season, it has to be said. He was he was excellent last season, but not to take anything away from him because they were good goals, but he was just right place, right time. And if you know Rafinha, if you're on the same wavelength as Rafinha and you kind of work out where he's going to play his passes, then it's absolutely gold dust for an attacking midfielder because mm. he, he's just... Everything is on a plate for you. It's not just the accuracy and the the kind of creativity and the pulling defenders away. It's like the weight of the passes is just perfect. Yeah, so they good. tell
2: they tell the striker what to do. I love those passes and that and that was def, for that third goal. It was just like it's a great fit. I love that finish, but the pass just tell look. This is what you've got to do because I'm playing the pass into such a specific area. I remember coming on here a few weeks ago, and it was after they'd lost to Arsenal, and there was a bit of the. You know, Bielsa uh, is he who you want in a relegation dogfight? They should get someone in with it. And and I, I mean, it, it it's one of these things where because it's almost self evident, we prop you know you can't talk about it every time they win a game. But what the job he has done with a squad that is a lot of championship level players to get them last season mid table and playing the football they play and still playing the way they do and getting results even with an absolutely injury ravaged team, it's not a case of you know, get someone to keep them up. These players are not... They are not of a level where they necessarily even should be staying up. But the job he does is it's just unbelievable. And watching them play yesterday again it's just... They're one of my favourite teams to watch in the league. And I, th- I think the job he's done... It, it- <laughs> He almost doesn't get enough credit because it becomes we become normalized to the Mm. fact that they can go and beat City at the Etihad like they did last season. And so we think, Oh, they've beaten West Ham. That's good. It's not that big a deal for them. But it is. Them still being in the Premier League is is incredible.
0: Well yeah, and they'd only just lost to West Ham in the Cup 2-0. And here they were at the London Stadium where Liverpool and Chelsea both lost this season. Where did this performance come to? I know they it's their second win in a row because they also beat Burnley back at the start of the month 3-1 but
1: you know Burnley etc. So where did this come from? I think this came from a very good pressing effort from Leeds United up front uh, so West Ham were quite poor but they were made to look poor. It's a job in particular was very slack trying to, to pass into midfield and there were two very good opportunities for these where they capitalised and we, this is what Leeds are. We, they are a very aggressive front foot football team. If you give them an inch, they will absolutely crush you with their press and they'll be hyper aggressive with it. And you're, the way you're supposed to beat Leeds is by carrying the ball, being really ambitious in your dribbling, trying to move people out of position with the, and, and exploit that man marking system. But West Ham didn't really get going-ish. Um, and I think, yeah, that leads, the aggression of Leeds' press really caught West Ham out. Yeah.
3: It's, it was as if watching Declan Rice yesterday it was as if only he had watched Leeds United play before because he was trying to do this kind of job of three or four players who weren't doing theirs and he was kind of he was dr- charging forward the ball he was playing give and goes he was sprinting down the left wing and then down the right wing and then through the centre and it was he's kind of looking around and saying like, everybody should be doing this Like yes I'm quite a good footballer and yes I'm in brilliant form this season but we can all do this Jared Bowen is an honourable exception, he was excellent other than the missed mm. header. But yeah, defensive, as Carl says, it's a Diop is I thought he was looked really good when he came to the Premier League, but he got he was when he was substituted yesterday, West Ham fans were cheering his substitution, which is not a particularly good look. And I think I mean the return of Kurt Zuma can't come quickly enough if they're gonna mm-hmm. stay where they are. When's that due to him? Soonish, I think he's back in training. Um but he just I mean it does show that the strength in depth is just not there compared to the teams around them. Um, I mean, right? they're lucky that Rice and Antonio and Bowen have pretty much been fit all season. But as soon as they lose one central defender, everything looks like it breaks a little bit.
2: Rice as well, I, I, I do think, is becoming increasingly kind of Roy of the Rovers, Stevie G, kind of <laughs> mid noughties just getting it and, and just running with the ball and sort of carrying the fight seemingly on his own at times.
1: I will say that does worry me in that we constantly talk about we constantly go to international tournaments and talk about, oh, why don't England have a regulator or controller or someone who can calm things down? Uh, and any time there is a decent-looking number six-style defensive midfielder, such is the English way of we just push them closer and closer and closer towards the goal and say, you're good at football. Now you have to decide football games by scoring rather than passing in and slowing down the pace. And, and you know, this is not me saying Declan Rice is a bad football player. Far from it. I think he's turned into one of the better central midfielders out there. And he really is making good on his whole, I like Yaya Toure stuff. But I am going, oh no, now we got to find another number six because you're not going to be the number six anymore. You're now going to be the attacking guy. Cause we've, but we've got so many attacking guys. Mm-hmm. Oops. Also, I think it's it's remarkable now we're talking about West Ham and how it's vaguely disappointing they're not going to make the top four.
0: But they are fours at the moment, just to say. But yeah, they
1: are. I, I think they will probably fall away a little bit and end up in the Europa League places, which will feel disappointing in that weird way of the way you start the season informs, dramatically informs you know, the perception of the way you end one. But the fact that West Ham are now consistent Europa something contenders, if not Champions League contenders, is, is remarkable.
5: Hi again, listeners. It's me again from Paddy Power. And like that blue bottle that you can't quite trap to swat Buzz buzz buzzing away Leicester City will be fresh and ready to go come Wednesday evening After Brendan Rodgers and his men had their game last weekend against Burnley Postponed because of Covid Spurs meanwhile crashed out of the League Cup in midweek And probably smelled blood with Arsenal having endured a gruelling 0-0 draw in Anfield With 10 men for the best part of an hour but the Premier League decided to accept Arsenal's request and postpone the game at the weekend. Seemingly, the pandemic has made it a little easier to get a game called off, hashtag lasagna gate The Paddy Power traders make Spurs a 15-8 to shot for a top four finish and have priced Leicester at 33-1 in the same market. So no surprise, Spurs are the favourites at 13-10 the Leicester win is 2-1 and the draw is 12-5 Brendan Rodgers' charges do look like there may be a bit of value here though for a number of reasons Firstly, Leicester are the fresher of the two sides Secondly, they have scored 15 goals in their last five games a decent haul and thirdly, they have James Madison what a nice young chap who's on fire at present having hit 7 goals in his last 10 in all competitions Remarkable Since the Foxes came back to the top flight in 2014 there has been 54 goals in their 14 meetings with Spurs without having to WhatsApp Mystic Meg I think both teams to score Looks pretty likely They say a blue bottle fly Can smell things That are up to 750 yards away And I think I'm getting The scent of value On the Foxes here To win the match And both teams to score At a very attractive 4-1 to one. Hashtag Not Tottenham You can find out These odds and more At paddypower.com Or indeed the Paddy Power app Prices are accurate At the time of recording It's over 18s T's and C's apply Begambleaware.org And remember Take time to think
4: This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. The Athletic is the only place you can read articles by Daniel Taylor, Amy Lawrence, Phil Hay, James Pearce, Ollie Kaye and the very best football writers around.
0: Arsenal had a sick note, so no North London derby. Man United did play away at Aston Villa. Crikey. And, oh, Carl, Yeah, carl has got his face on. Uh, They were (laughs) 2-0 up, Man United. We'll talk about them in a second, but first... Let's love Philippe Coutinho.
3: Yeah, I mean, I, I, I in the, the the score column, I kind of offered a slightly negative tinge on that, which is is basically that Danny Ings and and Ollie Watkins, I don't think can play together. Um, I think Villa have won two of their last eight when they've started together, and in both those games, they only scored the goals when one of them had been taken off. Right. I, I, I don't think they're a great partnership. But what that does mean is that if you then sign. An attacking midfielder who can play pretty much anywhere you want him to, as a kind of roaming number eight, either off the left or even as a number 10, which is what he always wanted to do and actually very rarely has, it does rather solve that problem instantly. It's a pretty short term solution in that he's only on loan and we don't know if he'll be permanent, but it's going to, again, it's going to be fun watching him while he does stay because mm. I kind of worried that he'd been a little bit broken by the Barcelona experience. He, but
0: he, he looks older, doesn't he? I mean, I know yeah. he's been away four years,
3: but it looks <laughs> it's like, like, it's like slight... Yeah, it looks like when sort of t- Tony Blair 2003 sort of time. <laughs> right. Um, but no, he. I mean, signings like that are always bigger than just the individual because it, it sends a message to Villa's players. A, we can our club can attract these players and therefore we might be able to attract more so I should up my game. And B, if he plays well, it's a joy playing alongside him. So mm. yeah, it's great stuff. Among
0: the players enjoying, uh, featuring alongside uh, the Brazilian, uh, the increasingly impressive uh, Jacob Ramsey, who also contributed a, a goal mm. and an assist in this one. Ooh, Coutinho's already got as many goals in the Premier League as Jaden Sancho, lols. <laughs>
2: hmm. Coutinho, though, I feel, I feel his look is more, he, he looks like a slightly older actor mm. trying to play a teenager or something because he's there's still like a slightly youthful element to him but greeting just... fellow kids yeah, yeah mm. exactly <laughs> yeah exactly but i mean I, ho- I hope he's i think we talked about this before i hope he's more the kind of cavani than the Falcao when mm. you know these slightly older legendary players come back to the premier league and you wonder how much they're still going to be up for it he uh he did look up for it um Certainly on the weekend. And it was quite sweet how all the players just instantly looked to him and were like, here, have the ball. Can you can you do something with it?
0: <laughs> all right, then. Karl Anker, United, who have conceded two more goals this season in the Premier League than Burnley, who are bottom of the table. What, what happened here? And should we be worried? Uh,
1: what happened for United was... Uh, the manifestation of, of long-standing problems so a lack of control in central midfield um, a unconvincing execution of a more pronounced tactical system than what we've seen previously so Rangy isn't going full Rangnick in his sort of 4-2-2-2 two, 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 two system and high pressing and whatnot he's, he's definitely realized oh no these players aren't going to learn this in five months. Let me apply the handbrake and make things simpler and and play a little bit more around Bruno Fernandes, which was good for the opening two goals. United were, I'm trying to think of a word that's less than good and somewhere above (laughs) average. So yeah, uh, so that was happening. Yeah, they were, they were acceptable for their first two goals. And I think what was also quite interesting after the, the, the result was um, Rangick admitting that he probably he was considering when he got to 2-0 up he thought about going to 3 at the back um, but didn't because he thought they'd get pushed back and the 3 would eventually become a 5 at the back and invite more pressure um, to which he said afterwards you know if, if 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 I could have a mulligan and a redo I'd probably go 3 at the back so you, it's also this weird thing where you're seeing a manager almost learn on the job how to deal with the chaos that is Premier League football mm. which is concerning if you're a Manchester United fan so I think when he, when he, he came in as the interim and Whatnot. The best case scenario was his methods were going to take. United would have a little dead cat bounce, end up in top four. Because the really interesting bit was obviously this ambiguous two-year consultancy role he's supposed to have. Right, uh, And it was less about him being a fantastic football manager and, and, and United going back on their perch by the end of the season or, or closer to that perch. But the fact that he would be around and advising and be the sort of director of football or closer to the, the director of football, advising United on how to build a modern football club, uh, the concern now is his methods might be too esoteric. The league table isn't looking too promising. So when he does leave his interim role and become this consultant, no one's going to listen to him because they're right. like, "Well, you weren't that good." Uh, and I think that's the concern with United right now. They are drifting sideways again after another you know every time there's a promising season you go oh this is it they're now going to make the jump they just also all the stories about
0: unrest in the dressing room and that Ralph Rannick saying after the game that and Martial had asked not to be in the squad which Martial then denied Mm -hmm. there doesn't seem to be a particularly healthy explanation for that kind of thing
1: no it does not we don't know who is being More truthful, is what I would say, instead of Mm. truthful. I think there's definitely shades to what we're we're seeing. Alternative truth. There are definitely shades to to what we're seeing here. And and, um, there are interviews and snippets and and word coming from here and there about different cliques in the dressing room and the impact of the size of certain tables in Carrington, which which is concerning, and and, you'd you'd hope. Seriously, so do people have different size dinner tables? So the... (laughs) One of the issues being raised possibly is is the idea that the the dinner tables at Carrington can can sit six people because of COVID restrictions and whatnot, which now very quite quickly makes it easy to divvy up cliques because there's just less interaction and less togetherness around the squad. Um, So, yeah. Uh, who's, who's on thinks, Ronaldo's table break it down for us Carl. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I would, I would imagine uh, if you simply go by who celebrates with whom at the end of full time it, it seems as if uh, Bruno Fernandes Alex Tillis uh, and Fred are sort of gravitating closer towards Cristiano Ronaldo now um, I wouldn't say that's a clique or whatnot but I'd just say if you just look at those photos those, th- right, those yeah. gentlemen seem to be talking to each other at the moment um, it's, it's a weird thing at Manchester United it, uh, uh, it's the mo- one of the most expensively assembled squads in world football if not ever and they're being outdone by someone you know a Barcelona flop on loan and an academy child so they need at least three central midfielders I don't know if they're going to get any central midfielders in January because again we don't know how much autonomy Ralph Ragney has and we also have no idea who the future Manchester United manager is so will they want you know leg breakers or will they want creators in their midfield um, it looks as if the you know former glue of that dressing room, Paul Pogba, is sort of giving a big shrug of his shoulders, going, I'm not touching that, I'm not coming back. Was he uh, the glue? It seems as if he might be. If you look backwards, now in you know, mm. hindsight and whatnot, but if you if you look at it, every time Pogba is not fit, uh you well for starters you have the you know dearth of creativity or that sort of they lose that extra bit of gloss because he's an amazing unique passer. Um and then you sort of look at the language profiles of a squad like manchester United. look at Paul pogba's language profiles you know pogba speaks english french spanish um i, I think he believes you know italian and i think he can do a little bit of portuguese we know that pogba is quite close with Edison cavani in the dressing room uh, so it would not surprise me if there are times where cavani can't quite find english word for it so Pogba's was translating for him um so yeah uh, pog was broken and even though the idea is he's the virus of the dressing room. It seems to be he's the one who can go from table to table and say, "Who, how's everyone getting on? So, yeah, I'll be devastated when he leaves. <laughs> it is quite
3: a... I mean, I think I've said this before regarding the coaching at United, but even in general, I don't expect Manchester United fans to agree with this, but it is quite reassuring for the rest of world football that you can, as Carl says, create a squad, one of the most expensive squads in the history of the game. And yet, if you don't do... The basics right, and if you don't get thing those kind of intangibles right, like team spirit and morale and um, communication, you can look very average very quickly. It's kind of reassuring that yes, money makes a huge difference, and we're speaking about a league in which we have another runaway champion probably, and it's the same ones we normally have. But it is quite reassuring. With enough that, ineptitude, you can, yeah, you still can do it. <laughs> you can make a top four race you out of it. You can still achieve your dreams, kids.
1: I mean, depending on how you look at this depending how you look at Manchester United, they're either a very avant-garde footballing experiment in what mm. happens when you don't sign a director of football, what happens when you don't sign a central midfielder, what happens when you don't remove the manager at the time you're supposed to remove the manager and you don't you know, hire the correct replacement three times in a row. So from the outside looking, if you're not a Manchester United fan, I'm sure this is very entertaining to watch. Uh, if you are a Manchester United fan... I'm very sorry. This is not going to get any better any time soon. If you are entertained
0: by Man United net you'll be tuning in on Wednesday when they visit the Brentford Community Stadium for the first ever Premier League meeting between Man United and Brentford. Hang on, did they not have a did they not have a first lead? what happened was, it was that postponed it was COVID
2: postponed oh right Okay. but, that, but what Carl's saying mm. does tie in Some. I mean I remember the kind of idea of an experiment I always, when David Moyes was managing United and they were doing so badly it always made me think because I remember during Alex Ferguson's time when they were winning so much it would be a kind of hypothetical like how do you think you would do if you managed Man United like mm. could they still maybe win the league and then Moyes it felt like was kind of acting out that experiment and showing <laughs> actually you can't just put anyone in charge you know bad things will happen so yeah fair play to them for acting out these kind of hypotheticals we talk about
3: it's a dagger to the heart for the football manager lads isn't it That's the... yeah, exactly <laughs>
2: exactly thinking that like, i reckon i could do that
1: i mean if you're a, you know promising 24 25 year old football player why on earth would you touch manchester united money you can get you can get, you can get good money elsewhere Oh, if you want to if you want money and you want to play for a football club that is a basket case, Barcelona's right around the corner and has better weather. It's it's that thing of there are better football clubs doing the thing Manchester United are doing, even the bad bits. They always seem on the verge
0: of the signing that's going to sort it out for them. I think maybe if you're a footballer, you think I am. If you're Jane Zangio, you think yeah. Or Van der Beek or whoever. Anyway, I'm sure we'll get further opportunity in the weeks to come to discuss these issues for Man United, or maybe how they've resolved them. Uh, Because he hasn't had long so far, Ralph Nick. Anyway, uh, next up, let's talk about uh, somebody who certainly won't be managing uh, for the foreseeable future in the Premier League, and that's Rafa Benitez and what happened for Everton at Norwich. It's the Paddy Power Football
3: Supporter Support Line. We're talking to Arsenal fan Dave about his New Year's resolutions. How's the 10,000 steps going, Dave?
0: Yeah, it's going great, thanks.
5: The 50 push-ups? Every day. And how about moaning less about Arsenal?
0: Well, oh, seriously, mate, we need to sign a new midfielder if we want top four. And don't get me started on Liverpool postponing that... Cup Being day. a football fan isn't always rewarding. But if it's rewards you're after, you can get money back as a free bet if one leg of your bet builder lets you down. Paddy power!
2: Pretty much online bet, but a bet's only. Min odds one to five per leg. Min four plus legs. Max free bet ten pounds per day. Excludes enhanced match odds. TNC supply 18+. plus. below Looking
0: for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone?
4: On Apple Podcasts, Spotify, smart speaker, and now ad-free on The Athletic. This is the Totally Football Show with James Richardson.
5: Terro Road is absolutely
0: bouncing as Brandon Williams intercepts and gallops forward on the left-hand side and plays it into Adamita. Great chance, and he scores! Adamida's first Premier League goal. You wait so, so long for a Premier League goal, and Norwich City have just
5: scored two in as many minutes.
0: Rafa Benitez, imagine if he went and lost at Norwich. We said last week. Lo and behold a 2-1 defeat Saturday for Everton to the Canaries who'd lost their previous six games in a row without scoring but with this win shift off the bottom of the table although Burnley do have four games in hand on them so anyway we'll talk about Norwich in a second first of all though we're joined by Everton uh, writer for the Athletic Greg O'Keefe Greg uh, good morning good morning Good morning. All right. Uh, how much trouble are Everton in? They've just fired their director of medical, their head of recruitment, their manager of scouting, their director of football, and their manager in one fell swoop.
6: <laughs> yeah, it's a cumulative trouble, really, isn't it? Where where we feel like we're in a place where we've been just far too many times over the past five years. The sixth manager will will now be the search will begin for him after Rafa got what felt was the inevitable um, call on Saturday night as we understand it really after the defeat at Carrow Road and um, it's a mess there's no way to sugarcoat it Everton are an absolute mess at the moment they they're a chaos club the, the owner and the board allowed the club to be moulded very short term in, in the image of Rafa as he, as he wants to a club he goes to and then at the same track you know we're getting increasingly alarmed by results and then as soon as they felt, or, or fired Machiri, the owner, felt there was a genuine concern over relegation. He pulls the trigger and all of a sudden you've got, as you said in the intro there, you've got all those key figures gone. And I'm not saying Rafa Benitez was responsible for them all going, but uh, he certainly would have influenced one or two of those decisions. Um, and in the short term, at least, he was going to be the de facto director of football as, as well as manager. And now they have neither. Look, the club want to make a quick appointment but what you want to do and what actually is able to happen are two very different things, as we know from most managerial searches. And uh, I think, you know, just to come back to the question, how much trouble? A lot of trouble. There's only right. six points between them and the drop yeah. zone now. And uh, that's playing like a team that uh, could get well get sucked into it.
5: Mm.
0: Give it to Big Dunk, because that worked out pretty well last time. And I'm sure that, that's a, that must be a pretty popular uh, thought uh, around Goodison. But what is the thinking at the club about who they're looking to uh, bring in to replace Benitez?
6: Well, on Big Dunk, there's actually no unifying sort of name. That's part of the problem, really. The fan base has torn and have been for a long time. Uh, they're increasingly frustrated at the ownership. But there's no there's no name at the moment where you could say, like, you know, Duncan Ferguson, yes, very popular with a lot of the fans, but equally, you know, as being the assistant manager to... Um, three or four of these these managers who've come and gone uh, and doesn't seem, he's interviewed for the job in the past and doesn't seem to have the the, the faith of the uh, of the owner to come in and do it on a long-term basis. The number one candidate we understand this morning, uh, certainly for certain sections of the board and one that Mishiri is considering more than he has previously is, is Roberto Martinez, which in itself is remarkable because, of course, that was the first manager Mashiri sacked back in 2016. And also the small matter of the fact that he's trying to prepare the Belgian squad for the World Cup in Qatar this year. So how that would work would be fascinating. Where they try and approach him on a interim basis, where he'd do some sort of job share. <laughs> you know how you share
2: Kevin Keegan in '99 for England and Fulham style.
6: Well, exactly. And uh, you know that was in '99 exactly. And, you, know, some, you know, some would argue that was a bit of a bonkers arrangement then. But now you're talking <laughs> about pressure the Premier League. You know, trying to keep a club infeasibly up, and then the elite international management scene, can you do that? Yeah, there are not that many fixtures for Belgium in, in between, but it sounds a little bit uh, fanciful to me that that would work. Um, just just, just crazy. Now, I, I know he, Roberto Martinez would be interested in the job, You know, he was interested in the Newcastle job, but whether or not that would uh, materialise remains to be seen, really, I'm sure the Belgium FA will have a say on that as well.
3: Greg, it's, it sounds as, a, as an outsider's point of view, it, it feels like Everton uh, uh, only believe there's about seven managers in the world and they <laughs> yeah. have to pick one of those seven. Yeah. I mean, what does it say about the club's kind of, it's both a lack of amb- ambition and imagination and also the way they talk is that they have a huge amount of ambition.
6: Yeah, there's definitely that confliction. Yeah, you're right. Uh, the same names seem to pop up again and again and again whenever, uh, well, frequently Everton are looking for a new manager. And you, you're right, the uh, the cast list is a bit tedious. Um, you, you can't you, you can't knock them in a way for for trying and showing the ambition to go and get Carlo Ancelotti at the end of the previous incumbent before before uh, Rafa, and obviously that didn't work. Wasn't necessarily down all down to Everton. You know, it was. Ancelotti didn't exactly in the end pull up trees but he was certainly a very ambitious appointment and you know one from left field in terms of the ambition that they showed and, and the, the sort of audacity to tr- go and try and hire you know, someone who's won the Champions League all those times and been so successful and bring him to Goodison but I think increasingly I think the fans feel that they're looking back at the David Moyes era should we say uh, and look, especially given how well he's doing at West Ham and thinking that they just crave a singular presence with that simplicity where you had a very strong-minded manager and uh, a chairman-slash-owner who worked well with him in tandem, and there was that much clarity over the structure of the club. Unfortunately, those days are long gone, um, so you need a manager who's going to come in. And uh, it is a difficult one a difficult one to pick because he needs to be able to work within the hierarchy of Everton, which is very imperfect, and then he needs to possibly work with the director of football. They're doing a club-wide review at the moment to decide whether they persist with that model. Um, and just so many uncertainties, it's it's a job that you actually think, you know, who would who would want it at the moment?
0: Greg, you, you, you mentioned Rafa's departure being inevitable, but it's only the last week or so that they just let him sign three players and move Luca Dean out. So presumably somebody at the club thought they were gonna stick with him through this. Was was it just that losing to Norwich was too great an ignominy?
6: Yeah, fair question, actually, yeah, but I think as ever with Everton, you have to kind of sort of kick the tires a little bit and, and, and look into the sand The the, the two fullbacks, um, Nathan Patterson from Rangers and uh, Vitaly Mikolenko from Dynamo Kiev, were natural Rafa targets. They were mm, players okay. Everton had targeted from before him. So uh, I mean, you could say I think they were partly partly scouted by Marcel Brands that they're now. Uh, ex-director of football so you could ask the same question of a brand I suppose but um, Anwar Elgarzi's coming on loan wasn't a Rafa choice either never a player Rafa had wanted uh, but where you're absolutely spot on is Luca Dean it's it just the beggar's belief they let they let him win the arguments over Luca Dean you know one of Everton's better players uh, and you know Benitez had a point in this Dean's behaviour was was pretty poor and his unwillingness to put himself before the team was poor however you know they let rafa win they froze him out they sold him to a rival <laughs> uh, To, in all intents and purposes who normally should be looking to finish or generally happy look to finish around the same place in the table we've got of course of course that's never coming to goodison next aren't they and uh <laughs> and then off, off goes luca dean and then yeah they get rid of the manager so yeah there's trying to apply common sense to the situation it's difficult, but ultimately, I think it was, as you say, it was that spectre of relegation. Everton are, are building a half a billion pound new stadium,
1: mm.
6: and the the very sort of even the very whiff of, of a genuine prospect they would go down would be disaster. I mean, it, it's obviously not not great for any club, but when you're trying to build a stadium and you're trying to arrange funding and all those sort of complicated levers that an owner has to pull to to do that, you can't countenance the the prospect of being in the Championship
0: yeah six points, as you say, ahead of Norwich, who are currently lying eighteenth, only one win in their last thirteen Premier League matches mm. for everton. Greg just uh, shout a name out for it. who do you think will come in what 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 would be your guess?
6: I'm intrigued by the by by the strength of the and, and the number of people who are telling us that Martinez is a genuine contender. I think there's there's something to that. I think he's genuinely interested in it. But there's a long way to go before that can get that could that could happen, and it was it's going to be really interesting to see how it would happen. As we've we've said, whether it's interim, whether he walks away from Belgium, uh, that's going to be very very interesting. And then of course, quite how he he mends bridges or machine sure gets his head around re reemploying somebody he's already fired. Wayne um, Rooney's is obviously being be mentioned. That mm. I, I think that would be a bit too soon for him, and, and just too too mad a job for him to come into I know Derby hasn't exactly been a walk in the park <laughs> but Everton could actually chew him up and spit him out at this stage in his career um, you know there's, there's other coaches, in it, Niko Kovac uh, Lucien Favre I, I'm not sure at, at the moment whether or not either of them would, would be the right choice but you know as I said before I don't know at the moment how attractive Everton is Right. Uh, as a prospect to, to a lot of coaches. There's, there's money there. Uh, they can't spend it really at the moment because of the, the situation they're in and financial fair play. So, uh, yeah, let's see what uh, Mr Martinez thinks about it and whether or not he can be lured into the dugout next, again. Greg O'Keefe.
2: And
0: you can follow the unfolding developments at Everton uh, via Greg at the Athletic, of course. Norwich, though, eh? This is quite something. A Norwich side indeed widely hailed as one of the worst Premier League sides ever and now off the bottom of the table. Potentially, they're one win away from actually getting out of the bottom three. Woo-hoo.
3: Yeah, it doesn't say an awful lot for the bottom four <laughs> in the Premier League currently, does it? But I can't work out... I mean, I'm trying to reserve judgment because I, I can't work out whether they were just semi-fortunate to play an Everton at their. They will hope their lowest ebb. And... They've got a massive game away at Watford on, on this Friday mm. night. It's almost the case if you then go and lose that, um, you're basically back to where you started because they had lost six in a row without scoring before. Dean Smith did look a bit weary about how he was going to get goals out of that team and I don't think Adam Ida is, is the long-term answer to that. So they're not anywhere near staying up yet, I don't think.
0: All right. Richarlison's goal, though, as consolation strikes... Go pretty, pretty mm. tasty.
3: Yeah, I feel like Rafa was, in his final weeks, was just leaving the best players on the bench so then he could say that he'd change the game with his substitutions <laughs> <laughs> because he brings on Liz and he scores an amazing goal and then everyone's like, oh, Rafa's doing it again. Um, yeah, it was a good goal but I mean, they, are, they were, you know, Greg said most of it but the reason you appoint Rafa Benitez if you haven't got much money is because he will make you solid defensively and that's what mm. he did eventually at Newcastle and I don't think I've seen... Roberto Martinez is an interesting choice to come in and organise a defence. Put it that way, um, but he can't do worse than Benitez was doing. So I am you know.
1: forever baffled by Roberto Martinez and the top tier football clubs he is constantly being linked to. He's been linked to both the Real Madrid and the Barcelona jobs. He, he's been linked to Everton. I've also seen him linked to other teams with aspirations of winning the Champions United League. United should appoint him. Can't. It, it's been suggested Mar- marry before. these two things. And you're just going, but why? He's he's never been particularly talented at organising a defence through his entire Premier League career. His Belgium team is of indeterminate quality. You, I'm very much of the opinion, you know, he's been given one of the better squads in world football and is getting them to play at par. He's a very nice man. But I don't think that's enough at, top t- at you know the knife edge of football management so I'm always mm. surprised that where he's being linked to the idea that he's coming back to an Everton team six years after he was removed for not being able to organise the defence and not being able to hang on to a league lead uh, so to speak is
3: baffling but I am also a big fan of it because it will be very very watchable oh yeah of
0: course, of course. <laughs> all right there you go. Uh, Norwich, meanwhile, climb to 18th, as I mentioned. Burnley slipped to bottom. They didn't play. Newcastle and now 19th after they saw a much-needed three points evaporate in the final minutes of their game at home to Watford. Jean-Pedro uh, with the goal. How, how big a moment might that prove in both team seasons, Charlie Eccleshire?
2: very big i mean well this is a bit this has been newcastle's issue isn't it throwing away leads and the more mm-hmm. it happens the more you think it gets in the players heads you know they're going to be aware of this uh i mean it's, it it it's just fascinating to see if they do go down what that will look like with i mean it will be such an you know we've talked the theme of this uh episode has been kind of you know mismanagement and it will be fascinating to see what newcastle do with a huge pot of money uh, but they're in the championship because that means that the sort of player and profile you can attract uh, will be intriguing. It might be more you know, money motivated, shall we say. So I think a lot of people would quite like to see what that will look like. Um, but the fear for those people is that with the players they're bringing in, you know, I think Trippy is a good signing, for instance. Mm. Um, they will sort it out and they've got someone like Sam Maximan, who is just so much better than you know a lot of their rivals have. So... But they can't, they can't keep doing this. They can't keep chucking away leads. Uh, and you could see, I mean, they did just retreat and retreat, got nervous, and it actually felt like the goal was coming. Soko had that really good chance not long before. Mm. Um, so, yeah, potentially, potentially a key moment uh, in the relegation dogfight.
0: Possibly for Watford as well, who travelled to Burnley on Tuesday, if that game goes ahead. And then they, as Daniel was mentioning, uh, will be hosting Norwich on Friday. Sam Maximan there with Newcastle's only shot on target. Was his goal actually better than De Bruyne's?
3: Yes, definitely. Um, It was very Alan San Maximan in the same way as De Bruyne's was very (laughs) Kevin De Bruyne, uh, in that he danced and tiptoed around various players before I like those finishes where you assume they're going to curl it into the far corner and then they just Mm. kind of do the keeper with the eyes and um, there's a great one at AFCON at the weekend as well Um, but yeah I mean I I thought Eddie Howe was a a fairly shrewd appointment but the worry about Howe was A. organising the defence and B. Mm. that he like he generally at Bournemouth talked up playing a kind of football on the floor approach which doesn't strike particularly logically with the signing of Chris Wood who is a good signing because he weakens Burnley but um, yeah it's just it just doesn't it all seems very illogical and Howe has now had home games against Brentford, Norwich, Burnley, Cambridge and Watford and only won one of them and that's a real problem uh, for Newcastle they've played all their in inverted commas gentler home league games now so having watched them away from home it's kind of hard to have a huge amount of faith in in them getting the points they need unless they are very busy over the next two weeks.
2: I mean, just the ridiculous finance they have that they could actually make signings just with the express ambition of weakening their opposition. I mean, maybe, maybe that will be their transfer strategy going forward.
3: It's sort of the opposite of what Manchester City did to Man United by feigning, you know, <laughs> yeah, 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 feigning yeah. interest in players that they then sign. Yep, worryingly...
0: Newcastle, with this game, end that run of home fixtures against their bottom three rivals, only one of which they were able to win, the clash with Burnley. All right. Well, still to come, we'll touch on a little bit more of what happened at AFCON and uh, some of the other events at the weekend. Ooh, we're next up a bit of On This Day. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone?
4: we're sponsored for this episode of the totally football show by shopify shopify is the global commerce platform helping you sell at every stage of your business from the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage Shopify's there to help you grow from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person pos system wherever and whatever you're selling shopify has got you covered Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, which is up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. Plus, you can sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. And what's more, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 support is there to help your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Now, because you listen to the Totally Football Show, you can sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash totally, all in lowercase. So go to shopify.com slash totally to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. That's shopif ycom slash totally. You're listening to The Totally Football Show, in association with Paddy Power. And with Paddy Power, if something doesn't go quite according to plan, you can get your money back as a free bet if one leg of your bet builder lets you down. And that's got to be good news for all you Man United fans out there, eh? Pre-match bet builders only. Get your stake back as a free bet. Minimum 4 plus legs. Max free bet, £10. Excludes enhanced match odds. T and C's apply. It's over 18s only. And please, gamble responsibly.
0: 17th of January, listener. On this day in 2001, what happened? Roberto Mancini signed for Leicester as a football player. He was thirty-six. He had a somewhat leggy month at Filbert Street, which was enough for him to fall in love with the English game and form a lasting friendship with Czech notes Robbie Savage. Nice. Also on this day, seventeenth of January in nineteen ninety-eight, Tamurikatsbire with one of the all-time great goal celebrations.
5: Check. From Kitspire.
0: It was a 90th-minute winner for Newcastle, who were playing Bolton at St James's Park. Kitspire who come off the bench, then was allowed his frustration. I think it's probably the, the best way of saying it: to, to get the better of him. He took off his shirt, began to take off his boots, and seemed minded to basically strip himself of everything. But when a teammate prevented him doing this, he instead started kicking the advertising hoardings. Repeatedly, violently.
3: There's another there's a good story that Shira tells about Ket Spire, that they went on a paintballing it's like a squad bonding paintballing trip. Right. And after about half an hour they heard these screams. And apparently Ket had just running behind Aaron Hughes, pushed him onto the floor and was just kind of shooting him from point blank range. With this kind of <laughs> manic look on his face. And the squad was sort of like Yeah, yeah, this it's not it's not going to be actual water, Murray.
0: <laughs> I, I hate, but, but that happens. You know, it's very Lord of the Flies paintballing if you give yeah. people <laughs> the circumstances. It's a Stanford experiment, uh, wait, waiting to happen in the woods.
3: The best bit of that celebration is that there's a poor cameraman in front of him, but he's obviously he's got a, a still camera rather than a uh, rather than a video camera. And the, the beauty of that celebration is in the manic movement. So he's just sort of sat there, not really knowing what to do, whether to actually bother taking a photo of him or not. <laughs>
0: Uh, listen, I should point out that back in 1998, cameras could only take either stills or video. <laughs> yeah, you couldn't, and you certainly couldn't wave a phone at one. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, madness. Anyway, top three. Uh, we should talk about this. Uh, also, because you went along to the Etihad uh, on a Saturday lunchtime for Man City's wonder win over Chelsea. Uh, first off, uh, Daniel, can I just quote your take on KDB's goal? A dribble that holds off one of the most complete central midfielders in the world. A latent threat that makes some of Europe's most experienced centre-backs back off rather than trying to block the danger. A curling shot that was effectively De Bruyne, calmly passing the ball to a specific point, past Kepa's goal line. His footballing brain, Kevin De Bruyne, must be something quite extraordinary. Because, I mean, with some players you think, yeah, he hit it and, you know, it worked out. But with him, you feel like he... In the brain, there's all these kind of uh, geometrical shapes and stuff and trajectories evolving, and then bosh.
3: Yeah, he's also, because of that, He this season, and it's partly because of historic injury issues, but he sort of frustrates me a little bit because he's so good that you sort of wonder, why, why don't you just do that every time? Because you clearly yeah. can do that every time. There's no luck to what you're doing. Um, but yes, I mean... Yeah, he was he was a deserved match winner. If it, it does feel like if City don't score these brilliant, you know, communal goals, that it's generally De Bruyne that produces the individual brilliance in that team. And uh, and yeah, and it, that's the headline. But then Manchester City's defending is is the reason they're going to win the title. They've only conceded thirteen goals this season, and three of those were in about ten minutes against Leicester. Um, they just they marshal teams so well. I think Edison's made. 32 saves or something this season, and you think, well, they've played 22 matches. Like, it's not
1: De Gea made seven <laughs> against Aston Villa, <Villarreal. laughs> exactly. Yeah,
3: it's it's a nonsense how assured they are. And Guardiola, you know, Guardiola said the same after the game. He, he, he's been kind of mocked a little bit for this morning, but he was his excitement, he said, came from the fact they'd only conceded one shot on target against Chelsea in two games. Hmm. Um, and that's how he sees it. He sees if we can, if we can strangle opponents without the ball, then we can do whatever we want with it. And mm. it doesn't even matter if our £100 million player isn't playing very well. Uh, Thomas Tuchel, meanwhile, had words for his £100 million player.
0: <laughs> I mean, he didn't directly name him, but he kind I think of... He prov- I think he pretty pre- much did, yeah. Did he? OK.
3: All this right. is a, officially a spat that are from both sides now. Um, and I'm not quite sure who it helps. I mean, Lukaku missed his opportunity, literally and metaphorically, to kind of... One in the eye of Tuchel, but I thought Chelsea set up poorly. I don't know why he keeps picking Hakim Ziyech and Christian Pulisic behind Lukaku. It's not a compliment to Lukaku because he cost 98 million pounds, but he is a striker who is much better when the players around him are playing well. Now, you probably maybe you'd expect more for 100 million pounds, but if that's the case, and Tuchel must have known that was the case hmm. because he pushed for him this summer, there was agreement to sign him. He then signs him, talks about using him like Giroud as a target man, and how I just can't work it out at all. Yeah, why didn't he sign Chris Wood? To, uh, What's uh, that? Well, okay. Or or Edin, <laughs> yeah. or Edin Dzeko, who yeah. you know Inter now very proudly think is a perfectly good replacement for Lukaku if you want him to play that role.
1: The moment it became, you know BT Sport and and, and too before before the game talking about how he would be the outball and they're relying on him to and his hold up play. Like, that's. That is absolutely the wrong way to use Romelu Lukaku. I agree on the point about Hakim Ziyech. I think he probably lacks that explosive half-yard of pace or the appreciation of angles to possibly work as a Premier League-wide player. Uh, I'm not saying he's a bad football player, but I, I think you can't quite have a sprinkle of that IX system without playing in a more IX style. So uh, Ziyech, I'm pulling a face saying I'm not sure if he's going to be that player for Chelsea for a bit. Chelsea in this weird state in that sort of every summer there is at least one very good player who is available for other clubs in Europe. Uh, and it's never quite the one I expect to, to leave. Uh, I very much thought they'd probably keep Tammy Abraham and, and GH would be the one to depart. Uh, and there'll probably be another one available for sale this summer. Uh, and again, I'll probably be like, oh, I thought it'd be that lad instead.
2: I mean, are Chelsea the most deluxe cup team ever?
1: Because that's <laughs> sort of
2: what... Like, I know that sounds ludicrous because one of those cups is the Champions League, but they haven't been in a title race since they won the league in 2017. I mean, that well, is they, I mean, extraordinary. They, they
0: were top of the table um, last month.
2: Yeah, but I mean, they're miles off it and we're only in mid-January. Yeah, like, yeah, that's fair. Yeah, I just find it extraordinary that for a team that has been consistently so good and keeps scooping up trophies, can't seem to... But, you know, man title challenge and is Isn't five this because
0: Man City
3: just you no? Know. I, I, I don't Liverpool think it's still no? no, I don't think it is Man City. I, they've played they've played ten games this season in the league against teams i.e. Brighton or higher, so ninth and upwards, and they've only won two of those games. But that's nothing to do with Manchester City. That's to do with them being good, not good enough. And Manchester City and to an extent Liverpool have changed the rules with these. You know, nonsense streaks of consecutive wins, but Tuchel hasn't won four more than four games in a row as, as Chelsea manager in the league yet. And the reality is, is that if if you want to be in a title race, and we all expected Chelsea to be in one at the start of the season, you need to do better than that. You can't win four games and then slip up against a Brighton at home, or although Liverpool did that. But yeah, it's just yeah, I I can't quite work him work him out at the moment. And this Lukaku thing is is a helpful distraction from. A, a, no, another bad result and not particularly good performance or setup, but it's it's also unhelpful for Tuchel because he's going to have to make it work. You can't just leave out a ninety-eight million pound striker because the reason he's there is that Timo Werner didn't work last season and he's on the bench as well.
0: Yeah. Well, uh, Chelsea now slip behind Liverpool, who are themselves eleven points adrift of Man City, although they do have a game in hand on Pep's side. Liverpool with a 3-0 win over Brentford Sunday lunchtime. Much expected this. Uh, Trent doing Trent things. Uh, Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain with a goal. Uh, but nice for Liverpool to do some scoring after the frustrations of their 0-0 draw with a 10-man Arsenal uh, on Thursday in the Carabao Cup semi-final. Also this weekend, Wolves. Hey, three goals against Southampton. What the heck? It's the highest scoring game that Molyneux has seen this season. Saints also got one through the extraordinary James Ward-Prowse. Dead-eyed James Ward-Prowse. Only David Beckham has scored more free kicks in uh, Premier League history than JWP. Uh, You also had Connor Cody scoring, Adama Traore scoring, with his 23rd shot of this Premier League season. (laughs) Remarkable.
1: Two seasons ago, I had a look at James Ward-Prowse's free-kick record. uh, I was talking to Matt Letizia about it. uh, And uh, Mr. Letizia described uh, essentially the way Ward-Prowse crumples his body up during the striking motion of a free-kick is one reason why his free-kick technique is so good and so consistent. So while we can't look up statistics as to why, uh, as to uh, Beckham's free-kick taking power, so to speak... The last time I checked, Ward-Prowse was the most on-target free-kick taker in the Premier League. Or you know, out of all the people that take a shot, he's always going to at least get it on target or trouble the keeper. Uh, and I think it's reasonable to say he's probably the best free-kick taker in the world now uh, who isn't Lionel Messi. But this crumpling the body up, did, did Letiz offer any more specifics about that? Uh, it was described a bit like a golf swing. So the power he generates, uh, Mr. Ward-Prowse generates, from his instep is very consistent and the way he makes sure his body could the basic the, the striking motion is so consistent is he sort of collapses in on himself after he hits the ball there's a very clear before during after motion mm. to his free kick taking that isn't the same with someone like james madison or someone like you know people who take the knuckleball technique uh, but there is a consistency in the motion um, all three steps of the free kick taking motion toward to that You just don't see in other free kick takers in the Premier League. Also, we know last season he went from taking sort of twenty free kicks during training sessions to only taking six because he's trying to be a more precise uh, and try and replicate match taking free kick scenarios. More going, I'm only interesting. Get maybe two so he gives himself
0: less of a less of an opportunity.
1: Yeah. Huh. Yeah. As well, did uh,
3: Did Letizia say the mainstream media is not talking about this crumple <laughs> technique?
1: Um, <laughs> well, I don't know if the athletic counts as mainstream media in this one, so um, yes, yeah. <laughs>
3: <laughs> so uh, well, there you go. How far out was this one as well? It was away miles downtown, wasn't it? It mm-hmm. was, and it was, a, it was, a, it was, a, it was a different type of free kick than we'd seen. If you were being highly ungenerous, you'd say it was a hit and hope. Area of free kick, which inevitably it kind of has to be from that range. But the power he gets is so astonishing that even from that range, you know, Jose Sars been the best goalkeeper in the Premier League this season. He's not within, you know, he's not within six inches of saving that. It's remarkable.
0: Mm. All right, brilliant stuff, and lovely to see Wolves. Delivering a little bit on all that XG they've been piling up, which actually wasn't all that much XG, but anyway, nice for them. Uh, Also this weekend, and also featuring a pretty spectacular goal, was Brighton's 1-1 draw with Crystal Palace. The goal I referred to was that kind of Barcelos-Parcolona effort, which featured every single member of the Eagles side touching the ball in a 20-pass move with uh, Conor Gallagher finishing it off.
3: Yeah, they, um, that, that's the moment of Palace in a game of slightly worrying football was Brighton were dominant. Again, it was almost a, a, a game that kind of just re-emphasised the, the kind of stereotypes of both teams this season and that Brighton were well on top and yet had to wait for a late goal to get the goal they deserve because they can't finish themselves and eventually relied on the, the opposition doing it. And Palace kind of struggling to produce this football but when it clicks and it and it does seem to click at least once every game they, they produce these moments of you know, one of the team goals of the season I'd have thought.
0: Mm, absolutely Brighton who've now scored a third of their league goals you were pointing out Daniel a third of their league goals after the 81st minute of matches mm. Mm. well sure we could talk long about why that is uh, they could have had the victory here had uh, they actually scored... Uh, it had, uh, who took the penalty? Uh, Pascal, Pascal Gross.
3: Gross negligence. Ha! <laughs> Brilliant.
0: <laughs> nice. Uh, but to Jack Butland, uh, redeeming himself after his problems at Millwall last weekend uh, with the save there. Anyway, 1-1. Uh, Brighton will be taking on Chelsea on Tuesday. That'll be interesting. Seagulls took a point from Stamford Bridge uh, less than three weeks ago. Also on Tuesday, Burnley's game with Watford. If... Burnley can get a team together Wednesday. You've got Brentford Man United, as we mentioned before. And also Leicester Tottenham, both teams having had the weekend off. So that's midweek fun for you to enjoy. There's also the AFCON rolling on. Loads of things happened this weekend. Looking forward to hearing about those because I was busy with the, the Italian on Sunday and it, it seems like uh, loads, loads of stuff took place.
1: It's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. They, uh, you know, with the the opening round of games had uh, I think something like six one nil victories out of nine games. But the 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 cobwebs have been blown off. Everyone sort of caught up to speed. And in true Afcon form, right, it doesn't matter if you're from a, a favoured nation or a bigger nation or have a golden generation. Anyone right. can get beaten up. So defeats to Algeria. Um, a, a, like, well, I'm not going to include Ghana in this because Ghana aren't actually a favourite I was
0: going to say Carl because you say everyone can get up to speed Whoa. Ghana can't
1: Ghana. <laughs> Ghana very much cannot this is the um, depending on who, which Ghanaian football fan you talk to this is either the end of a footballing generation for Ghana or the start of a new one uh, they're very much in a transitional state and they can't get their act together or score any goals which is a bit unfortunate when you want to do well at AFCON uh, Nigeria look really good as well which is quite painful for a Ghanaian football fan.
0: Yeah. A Ghana on the brink of elimination already, taking on Comoros uh, on Tuesday and needing other results to go uh, their way.
1: Indeed, they need either a 2 0 victory to be one of the better third place finishers or they need seven different results to go their way in the event of a draw. Okay, so, oh, that's not too bad. Yeah. Mm. Stranger things have happened at an AFCON. Yeah, indeed. Oh, uh, Algeria, for example, losing
0: on Sunday 1-0 to Equatorial Guinea. Algeria, who you will recall, were on a 35-match unbeaten streak, but not after facing Equatorial Guinea. Crikey, what happened here?
3: Uh, they they did as they did in the, their opening game, which is that they were kind of half-paced for the first half, mm-hmm. as if they were just expecting to score at some point, and then tried to step it up in the second half, and whereas they... They they kind of you know they they deserve to win their opening game they didn't deserve to win this one and then got robbed by a, a kind of smash and grab late on they they've now got obviously they're defending champions they've got to be Ivory Coast or almost certainly will have to be Ivory Coast in their last game to to qualify and Ivory Coast dropped late point against Sierra Leone with a goalkeeping uh, calamity should we call it um, which doesn't help Algeria because it means that Ivory Coast need something out of the game as well. So, yeah, um, no. I, I think Algeria will probably go home.
0: Wow. That game's coming up, that Algeria-Ivory Coast match is on Thursday. But, ooh, Sierra Leone, who we were getting excited about uh, in, uh, what was it, Thursday's show. Another dramatic draw for them because they had that 2-2 with Ivory Coast. A match which pities Wilfred Zaha against Stephen Corker, having these two players previously featured in an international match on the same side... Uh, for England against Sweden. This is yeah.
1: the, the 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 newer joy of, of Afcon or, or indeed, and this is the result of work done by the Algerian FA, at the, at, you know, the, earlier on in the century, and indeed the Moroccan FA to essentially lobby and petition FIFA for redrawing of, of uh, national team allegiances. So now we're in a current state where I think as long as you haven't played more than three senior team appearances for your national team, you can change, and this is why Zaha is now playing for England. Why? no longer playing for England and why Stephen Colker is now at Sierra Leone, which is the, I mean, again, if you talk to a, a number of Algerian football fans of a certain age, they will talk at length about Zindin Zidane and at length about Karim Benzema. So, uh, so these, the this AFCON is also quite interesting because it's the first, maybe the second big AFCON where you are seeing more of these players who, who might have been, you know, have two or three on the 21 caps for a former colonial power now playing. Um, and you're seeing I mean, they're greatly enjoying the experience that is an AFCON.
0: All right, well, uh, we're into match day three of the group stage now, the decisive matches. What should people
3: be looking out for over the next few days? Yeah, I mean, that, that Ivory Coast-Algeria game is the game of the week, I think, Nigeria. Egypt was kind of billed as the, the tie of the group stage. That's now shifted to, to Ivory Coast-Algeria because it's, yeah, the defending champions going out in the group stage... And Carl, Carl may well know this better than me, but the way those countries react to international um, cock-up and exiting from a group stage, that will be a national, you know, a, a day of tragedy. We should also say that the Cameroonian uh, Prime Minister or the Cameroonian President has um, changed the, the, the hours of schooling and the working week uh, to engage the Af- the Cameroonian public to watch the games on TV more, which is a really nice touch. As I say, I'm going out a week on Thursday, and um, mm. yeah, I can't wait.
1: Excellent. Mm. Oh, I would also suggest uh listener to make time for Gabon versus Morocco Tuesday at seven o'clock, because the- Morocco possibly, I'm pulling a face, uh, one of the teams expected to make the quarterfinal stage, if not better, uh, and Gabon who, again, if they can get uh, Pierre... And other players back in time could uh, be a force in the knockout stages as well.
0: Brilliant. All right. Well, uh, on Thursday, we'll be back with another Totally Football Show. And we'll dial up Maheem Mazahi to hear his take on scaffolding and, you know, whether he's been able to get out the front door. Stuff like that. His uh, kind of video diaries, though, on his social media are a, a very interesting window into the experience of following AFCON on the front line, on the ground level. Uh, brilliant that though wraps it up for today's show listener thank you so much for being with us right to the end Uh, it's been a joy being here with Carl and Charlie and producer Charlie and Daniel and you listener hope you have a lovely week and we'll be with you again on Thursday
4: you've been listening to the Totally Football Show part of the Athletic Podcast Network listen ad-free on the Athletic app and discover bonus content by following The Athletic UK Audio Plus on Apple Podcasts. Find out the very latest subscription offers at theathletic.com slash totally. The Totally Football Show is an Athletic Media Company production and sponsored by Paddy Power.
5: The Athletic.